So we're going to be looking at an, another encounter with Jesus. And so this one's going to come out of John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black book underneath the chair in front of you. And if you want to grab that one, it's on page 887 in the, in the it's not a pew Bible, is it? We don't have pews. The church, I mean the chair back Bible, whatever. So I am, uh, I'm, I expect feedback today, okay? That means this, no sleepy time today, okay? I, I expect feedback, and I am really good at the awkward silence, so I'll just wait around until I get what I want, okay? Uh, and we'll get out of here at 2. Or you can participate, and we'll get out earlier, um, I love this encounter that we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, and I'm not, it's not scripture or anything like that. It is helpful, though. If you have not seen the chosen episode with Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, it's something, and you should check it out. We're going to look at it this morning. Jesus' encounter with a man named Nicodemus. If you would, if you could, why don't you stand with me while we read God's word? Nothing, nothing more holy about standing than sitting. It just helps our minds to focus, and it gives some reverence and honor to the word. We're going to start in John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You can have a seat. So, in this encounter right here, 
we have two people. Who are the two people in the encounter that we just read out of Scripture? Thank you, Brother Charles. I knew I could count on you today. It's so good. I was like, Brother Charles is going to hook me up. Uh, yeah, Jesus and Nicodemus. We have Jesus, and we're, I, we're not going to... For this purpose, we're not going to spend a lot of time. We're going to see a lot about him, but right now, uh, we're going to focus on another. The one thing we need to understand about Jesus going into this very encounter with Nicodemus, if you still have your Bibles open, um, the last path, last verse we get before Jesus is introduced, uh, Nicodemus comes in and finds an audience with Jesus. The last thing we see from John is chapter 2, verse 24. It says this, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in a man. Right. So Jesus comes into this um, encounter with Nicodemus and he is in no way um, ignorant about what he's about to encounter. And then we have, so we have Jesus and then we have Who? Nicodemus, yes, and we learned something about Nicodemus. John tells us a little something about Nicodemus. He is a, what does it say? He is a ruler of the, of the Jews, yeah. And so um, we don't really know what that means as far as this passage goes, but we learn other places in Scripture uh, that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, Right? And so we would naturally today in our church setting, especially if you've grown up in church, when you hear the word Pharisee, you picture horns, a spiked tail, right, cloven hooves. But listen, they did not have the bad rap that they have rightly earned today. They did not have that rap back in the day. The Pharisees were uh, the most moral, the most law-abiding people of their day. They were the guardians of the gate for Israel. That's who they were. These men tithed out of their spice rack a tenth of their cinnamon sugar, right? They would give up. On top of that, Nicodemus wasn't just any Pharisees. We know any Pharisee. We know that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. This was a group out of all of Israel, a group of 70 men plus the high priest, and they formed what was kind of like this odd mixture between the Senate today, the United States Senate, and the Supreme Court, right? And so any matter dealing with the law would be decided, uh, would be decided upon and dealt with by the Sanhedrin. All that to say this. Nicodemus knew the law. Nicodemus knew Scripture, which for him was the Old Testament, right? Nicodemus was very, 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 very comfortable, confident in his knowledge of the law, but also his understanding of the law, which is a different thing, right? He was very comfortable, very confident in his knowledge and his understanding of the law until he was not. Here we see a rattled Nicodemus. He was rattled. Now, Eric, why do you say he was rattled? First, we have 
the upper echelon of Jewish society seeking an audience with an itinerant preacher who had no training other than carpentry. Something is up, right? Like there's something going on here. Uh, He sought an audience with Jesus. I think, though, the fact that he's rattled comes even, it's even more telling when John says that this encounter took place. When did this encounter take place? When did Nicodemus set up this appointment with Jesus? At night, yeah, under the cover of darkness. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you because I know you, you good people, have not even teenage you, have ever done anything where you felt like it needed to be done under the cloak of darkness, right? None of you have ever done that, but just put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Why is it that people would feel the need to do something under the cloak of darkness? Yeah. You're afraid you're going to get caught doing something, which would lead to shame or something like that. So there's this understand this feeling that he's doing it under the cloak of darkness. So, uh, man, maybe he's embarrassed or ashamed. Maybe Nicodemus is even scared of the repercussions of his brothers in the Sanhedrin finding out that he sought an audience with this, man, at this time, this, I mean, his frowned upon preacher from Nazareth. And I think that's probably right. I think those things probably all apply here to Nicodemus, right? But I think that John's description of Nicodemus coming at night was far deeper and more telling than the fact that he was simply embarrassed, ashamed, scared of being discovered, right? Throughout his gospel, John uses juxtapositions. $10 word right there, right? Here's what that means. He uses contrasting ideas in order to teach a truth. And one of the main ones that John uses is the idea of light and darkness. Yeah. And it's more than just about the absence or the addition of protons, right? It's talking about the fact that um, when John uses this, here's what he means by darkness, right? In other places in his gospel. So, a one rule of hermeneutics or study of the, the Bible is that we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? And so when we see John use darkness here, we go and look where he's used it elsewhere, and here's what it means. It's a time of zero faith, spiritual blindness, or ignorance, I think that John was trying to tell us more than just the time of day that this meeting took place, but he was telling us about the state of Nicodemus' soul, right? Nicodemus, this man, this teacher of Israel, is going to be exposed as someone who is spiritually ignorant, Encounters with Jesus will do that to the best of us, right? It will lay low the haughty ones. I've had it happen. And so, man, we we are quick to judge 
And so we are quick to judge Nicodemus, but this is a warning for us all, right? We are in the Bible of the buckle belt here. You can throw a rock from this church if you have a good enough arm and hit like five churches. No, maybe not throw a rock. Within a five-mile radius of this church, there are probably six or seven others. Sometimes I wonder if our knowledge of Jesus gets in the way of our knowing Jesus. It sure did for Nicodemus. It's a warning for all of us. So Nicodemus starts by laying it on really thick right here. He's like, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. What does the word rabbi mean? Teacher. So this guy, one of 70, he is like the cream of the crop of the Jews, and he's calling this itinerant preacher carpenter man a teacher, same level, right? But listen, here's the thing. Jesus was not there. Uh, he wasn't about diplomacy in this, in this instance. He was all about truth and getting to the heart of the matter. And so he tells Nicodemus something. And so here's what we need to understand. Chap uh, verse 3 in chapter 3. <clears throat> Anytime Jesus says, truly, truly, or what do some of your translations say? Does anyone else have anything other than truly, truly? I assure you, very truly. Yeah, here's what we need to recognize. Anytime Jesus makes those statements where he says something like truly, truly, we need to stop, slow our roll, and make sure we're absorbing whatever comes out of his mouth next. Because here's what I'm, he's saying. Truly, truly, this is of utmost importance and what does he say that's of utmost importance? I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Some translations may say born from above, which is also another way to translate the Greek word here where we get born again. Either way, still says the same thing, right? It means the same thing. Jesus tells him, unless you were born again or born from above, you can forget about seeing the kingdom of heaven. Right, And so, again, we giggle at Nicodemus here because we have the benefit of having the cross and the, the empty tomb in hindsight, right? Nicodemus doesn't have this, so he asks what is a perfectly logical question. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? It doesn't make any... What? Can he re-enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? No. The answer to that is no, right? It's not where Jesus was going. And so we have it again, so let's pay attention. Jesus answered, truly, truly. He's saying this, listen up, Nicodemus, utmost importance here. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Okay. So he tells him that the only way to sing the kingdom of God is to be what? Born again or born from above. Maybe your translation say same thing. Yeah, born again, right? There must be a second birth or a new birth that Jesus tells Nicodemus about, right? Um, so Nicodemus asks a perfectly good question. What are you talking about? How can this be? Jesus doesn't leave him hanging. He says that the entrance of the new kingdom, this new birth, has to entail two things, right? Being born of what? Water and of spirit. I've heard this a lot. This, this chapter preached on a lot. And I've heard some things that different takes on this. Have you guys heard this preached before? Or like this whole idea of Jesus is saying, here's what the new birth looks like. You have to be born of water and of spirit. So what does that mean to be born of water? And so I've heard people say things like this. Well, you know, Eric, that when a woman goes into labor, right, her water births, and so that represents a physical birth, right, because there's water involved there and a lot of other stuff involved too. But there is water, right? And, but I don't, go, I, don't, I don't go for that. Here's why. Because Jesus says in that verse 6, he says, that which is flesh is flesh. Like, so there's a distinction there, a dividing line between what is spiritual and what is, uh, and what is physical. So that's not it. Any, anybody else have anything? What do, you, what do you think Jesus may have been talking about here when he says you have to be born of water and of spirit? What might he be talking about with the whole idea of water? Any ideas? Baptism. Yeah. So, yes, but, right? Or yes, and, right? Baptism, but not this baptism, right? Because this is believer's baptism. It's one of the ordinances, and uh, we are a Southern Baptist church. Southern Baptist churches have uh, two ordinances. Uh, one is the, the the communion, and one is believer's baptism. And so this happens after one places their faith in Christ. Nicodemus would have known nothing about that, but there was a baptism Nicodemus would have been very familiar with at the time. And I don't think it's a huge leap here where I'm going because right after that, starting in verse 22, there should be an, another little subheading in your Bibles. What does your subheading say? John the Baptist exalts Christ. Right. And so here's Nicodemus would have been very familiar with John the Baptist at this point. Right. Jesus was causing a stir and developing a following that was catching the eye of the religious leaders of the day, threatening their authority. But you know who else was on the scene with also an equally big following was John the Baptist. And you know what John the Baptist's ministry was? He would hang out around the Jordan because he was doing what? Baptizing. Thank you. Yeah, Joe, thank you. He was baptizing, um, but it wasn't believer's baptism. Like after someone comes to faith in Christ to signify death and resurrection again to new life in Christ, it wasn't that. What was John the Baptist's um, baptism about? Repentance, right? Repentance. I think this is what Jesus is talking about here. And there's a lot of talk going, a lot of buzz about baptism here around Israel. 
And it has to be a part of what it looks like to be born again. Repentance has to be part of what it means to be born again. And so we all have seen the camp cheesy illustrations about what it means to repent, right? Like, we're going this way, and to repent means we're going this way, right? And that's true, right? Repentance means that, man, before Christ, before the Holy Spirit's regenerative work in our hearts, we are pursuing headlong our own passions, desires, authority, godhood. We're doing all of those things, but repentance means this. We abandon these things and we turn away from them. But we don't just turn away into a void. We turn away and we pursue something else. Godliness, Christ-likeness, obedience, submission to God's authority, right? That's what repentance looks like. It is a change of mindset. How we see God, how we see ourselves, how we see the world around us, how I see you is part of my repentance, So we've all heard this. You grew up in church, some of you. You know this, but here's the lie I feel like a lot of us have fallen for. We feel like repentance is a one-and-done thing. Well, when I was nine years old, Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. I repented that day, turned to Jesus, I haven't had to think about repentance anymore. That is so foreign to biblical truth, right? Here's what the Bible tells us about repentance. Repentance is something we do as believers on the daily until we die, right? Daily, because daily the Holy Spirit should be, hopefully, is at work on us. And we're putting ourselves in positions to be worked on by the Holy Spirit. We're making ourselves available to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to where every day he's showing us something. And every day we're like, oh, man, I've been looking at this completely in the wrong way. And so now I have to change the way my mind sees that and change the way my heart feels about that. And I need to turn and go this way because that's repentance. And it happens daily in the lives of believers until we die. Repentance has never been biblically seen as a one and done. It is an everyday. Is repentance a part of your day where you're constantly seeing things that you haven't seen before because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life where he's continuing to show you, to transform you into the likeness, the image of Christ, to give you the mind of Christ. And so you see things now, you're like, man, I've been doing this wrong. And I need to repent. So he says this, it has to be of water, which I believe is the repentance that John the Baptist's baptism signified. And he said it has to be born of spirit. Yeah, spirit. So what does a spirit do for us? 
The Bible says that the Spirit gives us the gift of faith. And so the Spirit helps us to believe where we can't otherwise believe, right? And again, me putting my faith in Jesus was not a one and done at the age of nine. Every day, I have to wake up, and and you know, because we live in a broken world, every day there are encounters that I have, things I experience, circumstances that I'm under, that, 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 man, challenge me in my belief, and I have to choose to believe in that moment. That Jesus is who he said he is, that my God loves me, and he is for me, right? And he has sealed me. I have to choose to believe. So Jesus tells him this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, listen, there is a very real distinction here between these two things. That that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Listen, so here's what Jesus is saying, and it's not something, Nicodemus, this second birth is not something that you can will to come about in your own life. There's no amount of learning that can make it happen. There's no amount of moral discipline that can make it happen. There's no amount of willpower that can make it happen in you. Flesh can only do what flesh can do, and the Spirit will do what the Spirit will do. You can't be good enough, Nicodemus, for your flesh to do what only the Spirit can do. That had to be hard for Nicodemus to hear. He prided himself in his knowledge, understanding, application of the law. And here Jesus is telling him that understanding is limited in its power to save. And then he tells him this. Uh, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Right? Like, why is this blowing your mind here? And he says this, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In order to talk about the Spirit and the Spirit's work here, John uses the analogy of what? The example of the wind, right? So I have a picture. It's the most depressing picture ever. It's like a picture of my childhood. Yeah. Did you ever get one of those for your birthday? What is that? A kite. Least fun toy in central Louisiana. Right there. Um, Yeah. So that kite is doing flesh is flesh. That kite is doing what that kite can do on its own. Right there. And what is it doing? No, it's not doing anything. It is laying there worst toy ever right there, right? Because it is doing what that kite under its own ability, own power can do, laying there, waiting to be hit by my riding lawnmower. (laughs) Um, But then you add something and you get this. That's more fun. 
I mean, that's more fun. This, in Pine Prairie, Louisiana, when I was growing up, this was a, a, a huge achievement right here. This would take place after running around the yard like a fool for 45 minutes tailing that thing, right? So here, we went from flesh is flesh to all of a sudden this thing is doing something that's far beyond its potential on its own. It's been acted upon by an unseen force. Anybody looking at this, nobody thinks, man, that... That kite is powering itself, right? wonder what kind of engine is on that kite to get it up that high. No, when someone sees this, recognition is all immediately given to the wind. Because the wind is what's giving the power. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, you're so thrown off by this, Nicodemus. Why is this so hard for me to understand? Now, here's the crazy thing. In, in uh, chapter, chapter 3, verse... Two, Nicodemus says this, Rabbi, man, we recognize that all of these things that you've been doing, no one can do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus has been seeing activity around. The wind brings activity to that kite. The spirit brings activity and motion and movement into God's people. And so Jesus says, man, you just admitted that you've seen us, myself and my followers, do some pretty amazing things. You've seen the lame get up and walk. You've seen, you've heard, you've seen the deaf hear, the, the blind receive their sight. You've seen the dead resurrected, man, and you still don't get it. And he's trying to tell him this. Listen, you want to know where that activity comes from? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moves believers so Nicodemus, still struggling, says, how can this be? And then Jesus gives him a pretty sharp rebuke. Jesus answered him, are you teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Look, Nicodemus, we've given you testimony about what we've seen the Spirit do here, and you still have trouble believing us. And that's why Jesus says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Jesus is saying, listen, you're not getting it at all. When you, there are things that you can see. And hear and touch. Like you can see what's going on, Nicodemus. And you don't even believe that. How can I tell you heavenly things and you believe them? And then Jesus kind of gives us some of his credentials right here. In verse 13, he says this. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So here's basically what he's saying. Nicodemus, I'm trying to explain to you about earthly things. And, man, forget heavenly things. You can't even handle that. But here's the truth, Nicodemus. This whole flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit doesn't apply to me because I am the bridge between both worlds, right? I have ascended into heaven and descended out of heaven, right? And so I have the credentials, what it takes to be able to teach you about heavenly things. He calls himself an odd name here. No one has ascended into heaven except those who, he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Now I'm, I'm going to be honest, like it was probably 
just a few years ago, I'm seminary educated, just a few years ago, that I didn't realize that son of man is a more significant title in the Bible than son of God, right? Anybody, anybody know where son of man comes from, where we get that? The book of Daniel. Daniel's prophesying about this one that was going to come and set things right. And he said things about him like this. He called him the son of man. And he said he is the image of the ancient of days, which is Yahweh, creator God. And he shares authority and power with the ancient of days, Yahweh. And he is going to occupy a throne that God is going to, God the Father, Yahweh, is going to give him, and he's going to occupy it forever. Son of man. And he comes on the clouds, right? The Jews knew who the Son of Man was, the one they were waiting on. So Jesus says this, man, I have authority to speak on spiritual things, to be your teacher, Nicodemus, because I am the Son of Man, the one who bridges the gap between the earthly and spiritual world. But then he throws a major curveball here. Because the Son of Man was supposed to be a king, right? Jesus throws a major curveball here. Tell them the absurdity and the beauty of the gospel right here. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What in the world is he talking about? Moses, serpent in the wilderness. Do you know this story? Um, the Israelites were being led out of Egypt, right? Then they were wandering. And the Bible says that they were grumbling against Moses and God's plan. Don't just Google Israelites grumbling because there are literally thousands of times they did that in the Old Testament. But they were grumbling, and so here's what God did. God was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send snakes into the camp. And they're going to start biting people. And it said their bite was like fire. And people started dying. And so God instructed Moses to make a way. So he told Moses to take a serpent, a bronze serpent, and put it up on a long pole and hold it up in front of all of Israel. And anyone who would humble themselves enough just to gaze on the serpent would be healed. And so here we have Jesus saying, this son of man, the one, Nicodemus, that you have been waiting on to come and merge again the, the heavenly realm where heaven and earth would converge again. That one that you're waiting on to do that, man, he's here. But he's not going to do it from a throne. He's going to do it by being exalted or lifted, lifted up. How was Jesus planning on making things right? Merging heaven and earth by being lifted up. Anybody? On the cross. But instead of a bronze serpent on the, being lifted up for the healing of people, we're going to have the snake crusher that's promised in Genesis chapter 3 that's going to be lifted up right, for the healing of the people. 
It's not what Nicodemus was expecting. The son of man was supposed to be a regal figure coming to rule and exert his authority. And here we have Jesus saying, listen, I'm going to be I'm going to be murdered to fulfill God's plan. And then he goes into probably the most quoted verse in all of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus did for Nicodemus right here. He presented him with the gospel. You guys have heard that word, right? Gospel. Oh, some of my kids, kids, y'all paying attention? Some of my kids can tell me this. What does the word gospel literally mean? What does it mean? The good news, yeah. So we've heard that. Everybody, head nod. Everybody's heard the word gospel, head nod, head no. Yeah? Yeah, we've all heard the word gospel. You're in church, say, chances are you've heard the word gospel. Okay? How many of you, if I asked you to, could stand up where you were and share the gospel. Anyone? Yeah. Joe, I'm sure you could, buddy. Um, So here's what I want to do really quickly in closing. Just so we're all on the same page. Just so make sure we're not using words in ways that um, man, we're, we're confusing the meaning or we're talking about two different things. When, when some, because listen, there are churches around here when we talk about the gospel, it includes a lot of things that I don't think the Bible tells us uh, is included in the gospel message. And so if we can, really quickly, I'm just going to, and I'm so ADHD, it takes things like this for me. Is this okay if I write on this? Can y'all see, can, Billy, can you see this in the back? Okay. So check this out. Here's what I mean by the gospel. The gospel is not a, it's not a four points on a track, even though I'm going to give you four points today. I can't believe my hypocrisy. It is the story of the redemption of all creation play out by God the Father through God the Son, right? It's a story. Um, but we're going to quickly just hit the high points really quick. I promise this isn't going to take more than 10 minutes at, at most. Okay. So the gospel, man, we're so egocentric. We think the gospel starts with us, like it's all about us. Like, man, uh, but it's not all about us. The Bible says that the, the, the start of the gospel is the start of the very Bible, right? We have to go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So the gospel message starts with God. And so what are some things that the Bible tells us about God, that we can understand or know about God from the Bible. Anybody have anything we, can, we know about God from the Bible? What's that? He's holy? Yeah. So he's holy? Yeah. Yeah, so the Bible paints this picture of God. He is the creator God. So the Bible, but he's not just creator. The Bible, Deus, um, teach this, that God is the watchmaker, right? That just wound up a watch and now he steps back and just doesn't really have any interaction with it. He lets it run. God is creator, but he didn't just create and leave. He's here. And the Bible paints this picture of God like he's sitting on a throne and he has charge of a kingdom. What are those people called? He's a king, right? 
That's how the Bible pictures God. And so we're going to represent that with a crown. Yeah, that's uh, some good artwork right there. Um, so God is ruling over all that he has created, right? Uh, here's the crazy thing. God in his creation um, created man. Now, ladies, calm down. This is short for mankind, which is gender neutral. I don't know if there is such a thing these days as that, but uh, this is mankind, created mankind, right? The Bible says uh, male and female, he created them, right? And here's what the beautiful thing was about that creation. The Bible says in uh, John chapter 3, we just read, the, the flesh is flesh, the spirit is spirit. In the garden, it was not the case. In the garden, the beauty of the garden is the fact that heaven and earth merged in the garden. It's where God and man dwelt together. In the fact, the Bible, the Bible says that in the cool of the evening, Adam and Eve would walk with God. I have no idea what that looks like but I like it, right? And so the Bible says that there is this unbroken fellowship. There's no dividing wall. There is no flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. It's all one because God is dwelling with his people, right? But there's a problem that came up. And so man slash problem. The Bible makes it clear that Adam and Eve were not content with God being their God. Adam and Eve envisioned someone else on the throne, and who was that? It is sin, but who did they envision on the throne? No, not Satan, themselves. They envisioned themselves, and that's the root of all of our sin, right? All of our sin, the root is we, do, we refuse to submit to the authority of God. We want to do things our way. And so there's a problem that resulted because of this. And so now all of a sudden, all of a sudden there is no more, there's now flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. And there's a, there's a chasm in between that cannot be overcome by flesh. Flesh is flesh. Right? And so we try. We try. Man, we think. Okay. And, and look, everybody knows that this is the case right here. Everybody knows that there is a brokenness between us and the creator God. Right? There is a brokenness, brokenness within us. If you don't believe me, you turn on Fox News for about five minutes. Or CNN, if that's your leaning, for about five minutes, and you tell me this world isn't broken. Forget national news, man. You go and look out off your front porch and at your neighbors around you, and if you know their stories, here's what you're going to see quickly. Brokenness around you in your neighborhood. You don't even have to go on your front porch. You step inside your own home, and what do you see very quickly? Because there's dissension and division. There's always fighting, especially if you have kids close to the same age. There's always fighting, and you see very quickly that there's brokenness, right? You don't even have to look outside your own mind, because when you close your eyes at night, what do you see very quickly? Man, when I close my eyes at night, it's not my accomplishments, my accolades that pops into my mind. It's always how I failed. And my mind wages war against me. 
So we all know that there is a brokenness right here. And so we try to overcome that brokenness. And so the world says things like this, man, if we just make enough money, whatever the case may be, and so we try and try and try to get over that, and no, it always ends in destruction, right? But take heart. God has provided a way for you to do it on your own, me to do it on my own. Would you like to know the secret? Here's what it is. It is, I don't know if you can read this from back there, Billy. It is perfection. Perfection. That's all you have to do that bridges the gap. You be perfect. Not, wait, hold up. Not just in what you do with your hands, your feet, and your mouth. What you think in your mind, be perfect. The attitudes that you have in your heart, be perfect. And that, only that, just that, will bridge the gap that our sin has created, that sin has created between us and God. I ruined this when my alarm clock went off this morning because the thoughts that went through my mind were ungodly. Just going to be honest with you. So, there's no hope. This is why... This is why Job, in the midst of his despair, when he was, he was made, it made very clear to him how holy God was and how far away from God that he was because of his sin. Listen, here's what Job said. Job said something crazy. He said, what I need right now in this moment is a redeemer. A redeemer, but not just any redeemer. I need someone who can at the same put his hand on God and at the same time put his hand on me. Job said, I don't need someone who flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. I need someone who can unite the two worlds again together. I need someone who can lay their hand on God and at the same time lay their hand on me. And Job, in his mind, probably thought this is absurd. But now we know it's not absurd because we, saw the, we have seen the one who embodied that. And who is that? It's not a trick question. Who is that? Jesus. Yeah, so here's what Jesus did, right? Jesus came, and he, man, because he is the one who, the son of man who is able to come back and forth between this, man, Jesus made it right, but he did it in a way that was peculiar to Nicodemus and peculiar to us because it doesn't make sense for a king, right? Jesus was lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent, in the wilderness, right? And so Jesus, through his work on the cross, bridged the gap that we could in the flesh not bridge on our own, right? And so three is this, Jesus slash answer. Jesus came and did what we could not do on our own. And then finally, and I'm done, fourth is response Man, this is where we can have the knowledge of all this and still not know, right? We can have the knowledge of this and still not know it. There has to be a response. And what did Jesus say the new birth looked like? The response is twofold. What is it again? Remember? Repentance and faith, right? Repentance and faith. That's how you respond to this good news, of Jesus. So again, repentance where our worldview changes, right? And then faith, 
And faith is more than just, yeah, I guess. Here's the best illustration of faith I can give you. I was watching when you guys came in this morning. Not one of you, I'm not kidding, not one of you, like weight tested the chair. Nobody turned it over to make sure all the welds were intact. Nobody did that. You don't know what you did? You just plopped your hiney down in that chair. You know what that's called? Faith. You could say all day long, I know that chair can hold me up. I know it. I know it. I've read about that chair. I know all the specs on that chair right there. I know the weight limit that's been tested. All those things. I know everything there is to know about that chair. Is that faith? No, faith happens whenever, man, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit blows us into action. Right? And we sit in it. And all of that knowledge transfers to faith. Right? that make sense? So here's my fear for us this morning. Because we live where we live in the culture in which we live, man, a lot of us know a whole lot about Jesus. It's possible to know enough just to be dangerous to ourselves and to others when it comes to Jesus. Did you know that? So maybe this morning, man, believer, maybe Maybe this morning needs to be a time of repentance for us. Or maybe this morning we have seen some way that we're looking at God incorrectly. We're thinking about God incorrectly. We're looking at ourselves incorrectly. And we need to repent and by the Spirit's help turn to Christ-likeness. Maybe this morning you're in here and you have fallen for the lie that somehow being a good old boy or a good old girl or whatever the case may be, that you can bridge the gap that our sin has created between us and the Holy God. Let me tell you something. Jesus and Jesus alone. So maybe this morning you need to come down and talk to Jared. Jared will be uh, somewhere around up front during this time. Um, and you could talk to him about getting to know Jesus, right? So what we're going to do right now, we're going to transition. So Jared and, uh, and the, the band are going to come up and lead us. We're just going to sing and take communion, and then we're going to go. But I encourage you, man, do business with the Holy Spirit this morning before you leave. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encounter with Nicodemus. We thank you for the truth that John recorded for us. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you do your work here this morning. Break chains, open blind eyes. Bring dead hearts to life. And we'll be quick to give you all the praise and the glory for it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.